The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. We're broadcasting today to over 60 countries from Los Angeles which is the third most important center in the world for entrepreneurs, startups, angels, VCs, and incubators. You're a tremendous and enthusiastic audience, and I want to thank you for making us the number one business show in the world for entrepreneurs, on radio, that is. The sole purpose of this show is to help you to run a successful business and to give you tips to ensure your success. We all can't be great at everything, so I want to help you identify the gaps in your expertise. I've just heard about a great new fuel app called WeFuel, which is sort of a combination of convenience and your fuel tank. Every day, the things that matter to our lives are coming to us. You know, it started with books, extended to groceries, and now it's just about everything you need when you need it. You know, even the house calls coming back with doctors and dentists and hairdressers all coming to see you wherever you want, whenever you want, which is pretty cool. But there's something that still forces us to get in our car, fight the traffic, and go through a ritual that's more than 100 years old, and that is filling up your bloody car with gas. Now, WeFuel makes it really easy. All you do, get on your app, put in where you are, they send a truck to you, fill up your tank. How cool is that? And it's called, it's called Gas Unstationed. And you don't even have to be there for your WeFuel service if your gas tank is unlocked. They just fill it up and go. Um, it costs $7.49 fee per fill-up. But if you're the kind of person that doesn't worry about the cost of fuel, you just put it in your app, they come to you and fill up your tank. I mean, how cool is that? There are also plans to uh, roll out a monthly subscription service for unlimited refuel, so 20 bucks a month, and they'll fill your car as often as you want. You've got to pay for the fuel, of course, and they charge you the um, gas buddy price. So WeFuel, it's just the latest in a growing batch of startups that are bringing fuel to your car. There's quite a number of them, Gas Ninjas, Fuel Me, and Yoshi, just to name a few. They all have pretty similar fee structures, but days of going to the gas stations um, are pretty short-lived. Of course, um, as electric cars come in, that'll bugger up that industry, but never mind. Last week, I discussed the fact that PricewaterhouseCoopers studies have shown that with the changing attitudes and priorities of consumers, the most important contribution to a company's growth and return on investment 
is customer service. Customer service is up to 50% more important than either advertising and promotion or the launch of new products. Customer service is equally important both in bricks and mortar and in online businesses. There's absolutely no question the number one element that differentiates a successful company from all its competition is their level of customer service. You know, of course, you've got to deliver a good product and you've got to deliver it at a cost that's acceptable to the, com- the consumer, but neither of those are going to determine whether a customer is going to come back and buy from you again doesn't determine whether they're going to tell their friends about you and become an advocate for your business or whether they'll simply go away, never return and not tell anyone. Or you can fuck it up and they tell everyone. So the only way to really differentiate yourself, unless you have an extraordinarily different product, is with knock your socks off customer service. You know, Henry Ford once said, It's not the employer who pays the wages. Employers only handle the money. It's the customer that ultimately pays the wages. So every employer must remember that the only person who can put everybody in the company in the unemployed queue is the customer. They simply stop buying your product. You're screwed. Customer service is so important that Jeffrey Gittimer you know, he's the author, speaker, and business trainer, said the customer experience is the next competitive battleground. Tony Alessandra, one of the most sought-after experts on companies, com- customer <laughs> service in corporate America, says being on a par in terms of price and quality only gets you into the game. It's your customer service that wins the game. Now, I've always been a big admirer of Amazon. Their customer service is fantastic. They uh, always seem to over-deliver on their promises. And Jeff Bezos said, if you do build a great experience, customers tell each other. Word of mouth is extremely powerful. So our job every day is to make every important aspect of the customer experience just a little bit better. Now, in the last month on the program, we've spoken to two incredible Americans, Van Jones, who you'll see on CNN all day today, and uh, Nolan Bushnell, who was the guy who started Atari, and um, Chuck E. Cheese, and gave Steve Jobs his first job and was a mentor to Steve Jobs until his passing. And we've spoken to them about the issues of education in America. Now, there's no question that the U.S. needs to really lift its education standards. And ever since I saw a lecture by Ken Robinson a couple of months ago, I've been conscious of the fact not only that the U.S. system, but in fact the system in most first world countries, really sucks and it devalues creative subjects and courses. You know, educators advise students that the way to be successful in the long term is to do the traditional subject. So if you're really creative, if you're somebody, if you're a John Lennon, they they tell you to go and do science. It's ridiculous. During the week, I saw a great comment by Albert Einstein that said, 
everybody has ability. But if you judge a fish by the way it climbs a tree, you'll always think it's stupid. And that's a great quote. It's time to build a global education system and acknowledge the exceptional ways in, each, in, in which every student learns and what their specific aptitude is. Think of all the great people we would have lost if, if teachers got away with this bullshit of saying, no, the arts, there's no future in the arts. It's all airy-fairy. You've got to get a real – you've got to learn accounting. God. Um, I, re I recently read an article in United Airlines Hemisphere magazine. It said that Americans rank among the developed nations – with bachelor degrees, 27th out of 48 countries that are regarded as being developed. That's pretty appalling. In fact, it's really appalling. But how about this figure? There are only four nations that are ranked below the US in eighth grade math scores. Only four nations. Now, the US federal government invests $3 billion a year in STEM education, but that's three billion. But America spends 90 billion a year on beer. So we spend 30 times more money on beer than we do on STEM education. Now, that is fucking pathetic. Where are the priorities? The percentage of US students who pursued STEM degrees because their parents encouraged them to do so was only 6%. So come on, parents, by all means, encourage your kids to take the arts if they want to, and if they've got a great attitude, all for it. But let's also encourage our kids to do subjects like science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. You know, become a Musk, do engineering. In December, Facebook started testing the ability for people to share live video on Facebook through live, and it's been pretty inspiring to see all the ways that people have used live to connect with their family and friends. Facebook's now expanded the ability to share live video to everyone in the US via iPhone, and they plan to start rolling it out to the rest of the world in the next couple of weeks. To share live video, simply tap on update status, and then select the live video icon. You can write a quick description and choose the audience that you want to share with before going live. During your broadcast, you'll see the number of live viewers, the names of friends who are tuning in, and a real-time stream of comments. And when you end your broadcast, it'll be saved on your timeline like any other video, which you can then delete or keep from your friends to, for your friends to watch later. You can discover live videos from your friends and public figures you follow just by going into Newsfeed. While watching a live video, you can tap the subscribe button to get notified the next time that the broadcaster goes live. So you can learn more about live in the Facebook Help Center. Are you a member of the American Institute for Sales, Market and Management? Because that's the premier organization for business in the United States. And if you're serious about improving your skill level, building up your status and your network, you should join today. So go to A-I-S-M-M-U-S -M -M and join now. Now, my guest today is Eric Riz, 
And this guy's a true visionary. He's worked with leading companies to stay on top of the complexities of not only today's technology market, but also the changes that will change that will shape the future. And the, the future is changing so quickly. The more inventions every day that are making the future, uh, well, what you thought was going to be the future, totally obsolete. And as the driving force behind the implementation of Microsoft SharePoint for enterprise organizations, Eric's been sought after by Fortune 500 companies such as Walt Disney, Kellogg's, Pepsi, and currently Eric is the CEO of Toronto-based Empty Cubicle, an HR-related software company poised to revolutionise the IT recruiting industry. This is Bob Pritchard, and I'll be back with Eric immediately after this break, and I'm on Voice America Business Network. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. Hi, I'm Rebecca Costa, host of the Costa Report, every Tuesday at 6 a.m. and again at 6 p.m. My guest this week was Secretary of Housing and Urban Development under President Clinton, Mr. Henry Cisneros, who'll be here to talk about 13 trends which make investing in real estate in urban centers a sure bet. Don't miss Henry Cisneros this Tuesday at 6 a.m. and again at 6 p.m. on the Voice America Business Channel. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to Bob at BobPritchard.com. That's Bob at BobPritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Business Radio Show. We give you an insight into the lives of some of the world's most interesting business people and entrepreneurs. We talk about the services they provide, and we try to find out what it is that makes them tick. Creating a successful business is really bloody hard. That's why only about 3% succeed. So we all need all the help we can get. And that's why it's important for all of us to have mentors, surround ourselves with people who know what they're doing, who've been through um, whatever situation you're in before so that you don't make the mistakes that they've already made and solved. And 
you should listen to as many interviews and read as many books as you can so and take on board the advice that uh, those who are already successful have determined works. My guest today is Eric Riz. He's a he's a real visionary. He's he's from Canada, and uh, he's actually quite enjoying the weather at the moment because it hasn't got to that freezing. Well, it's pretty cold, but it hasn't got to that freezing up to your knees in snow yet. But um, Eric's got an extraordinary ability to find needles in the data haystack. You know, there's so much data out there that it's unbelievable. And uh, Eric's worked with leading companies to stay on top of the complexities, not only of today's technology market, but of the incredible changes that are taking shape in the future. Funnily enough, I gave a presentation in um, in Alaska last week, and there was a member of the state, uh, sorry, of the national parliament in the audience, and I was talking about the fact that over the last 10 years, we've probably been through 1% of the technology revolution, and in the next 10 years, we're going to go through the next 99%. So if you haven't been able to keep up with the change so far, get ready. And uh, he wrote me a note afterwards saying that we're at the full extent of the technology revolution, and there will not be much further change. And I thought, this guy's representing us, and, and well, not representing us, but representing Americans in Alaska, and he doesn't think there's going to be any further change. And a bunch of idiots obviously voted this guy into office. I'm not sure how that works. I might actually use his name next week and read you what he wrote. Um, but Eric, as the driving force between the implementation of Microsoft SharePoint for enterprise organizations, he's been sought after by Fortune 500's Companies such as Walt Disney Company, Kellogg's, Pepsi, you know, all the small players on the block. He's got a background in business, information technology and global management. He's got a real entrepreneurial flair and spirit, this guy, and he's become a significant figure in the technology industry. He's currently the CEO of Toronto-based Empty Cubicle, which is an HR-related software company poised to revolutionise the IT recruiting industry. Now, this is not launching. It's not live yet. It's not launching until early 2016. But Empty Cubicle is the result of Eric's ingenuity combined with his ability to recognise needs within the technology space. He's an active thought leader, thought-after keynote speaker, and he's gained notoriety in an engaging and as an engaging and insightful speaker on such topics as tomorrow's IT strategy and risks and opportunities in future data. I think you've got to have a mindset that hones in on this because I think for most of us listening, most of us that have got businesses, we sit there and we say, you know, data is critical, and there's this wealth of of big data applications, but how the hell do you negotiate your way through them? And uh, that's what Eric is a genius at. So when he's not juggling his role as CEO and thought leader, he can be found mentoring and advising young business leaders at the, I think it's Mars Technology Incubator in Toronto. I've got Eric on the line. Hi, Eric. How are you? Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Hey, Bob. Thank you very much. Great to be here today. And uh, hello to all the listeners. It's... um. 
very confusing all this big data isn't it you, you know there's it's just such a wealth of information out there that it does it take a a huge amount of training and and study or do some people just naturally adapt to being able to understand all this data well it's certainly a good question and and definitely a difficult one to answer um, there are certainly some people out there who are very happy uh, going through a, a day-in, day-out process where they, they complete a task and focus on uh, exactly what is inside of their box. And then there are others, uh, such as myself, who, who see things a bit differently. Um, I often speak in interviews when I'm, I'm speaking with potential staff members about uh, what it is that we look for in, in our staff. And typically people see things on the, the the three dimension. They look at things a certain way and we challenge our people to, to look on that fourth dimension. So it isn't just is the glass half empty or half full, but is there a glass to begin with and is there liquid to pour into that glass? Um, and, and taking a look at, uh, at the world with a, within a, a different context or light is really uh, one of the, the founding components or, or foundational uh, pieces of Empty Cubicle is looking at HR in that different perspective. It's a pity that we all can't look at something in three and four dimensions. It might make for a better world because I think most people, um, which is unfortunate, look at things in one dimension. Absolutely. Absolutely. But so at the same time, I... Go on. <clears throat> sorry. I, I, I think at the same time, uh, you know, it, it's, it's the physiology, the makeup of the individual that decides how they're going to look at things and... I think if we all looked at things the same way, it would be a pretty bland world out there. We've got to be able to look at things from different levels and perspectives and in order to challenge one another and, and try to uh, to push messages forward and, and push thought leadership forward. Yeah. So what was the inspiration behind the creation of um, Empty Cubicle? Well, I mean, personally, I've always been focused on identifying and, and solving customer problems where we can – personally, I see a, a niche that, that others may not see – and in my experience working within the Microsoft ecosystem, I would have conversations with some of the world's largest organizations, and there was a common denominator amongst each of them. And no matter what the company did or what their product or service was, the common denominator was always that there was a, a fundamental flaw in the organization, and that fundamental flaw, sadly, was human resources. Yeah. And, and that was, was really what started to get... To, to really get me thinking around how to solve that problem. And in, in the SharePoint space, I was successful in solving the problem of the business user, how uh, an organization can look to implement technology not just as a tool but as a foundation and something that's enterprise-focused and across the organization. In the HR context, the issue of, of looking at HR is, is really it's a very old and known process. Everybody, I like to say, when I'm on stage, I like to say that everybody that I know has either been hired or fired. And, of course, that gets a big smile because everybody has been hired or fired. And you can, you can ask somebody, you can point a finger, and you can say, what was your issue with that process? What was your issue with that process? And if you're speaking to the individual, it's almost always time. It took far too long to get that first phone call. It took far too long to find the right role for me. It took far too long to, to close the loop and to close the process. 
too long to recruit, too long to hire, too long to onboard new staff, so on and so forth. And the organization really speaks the same language. The onboarding process, the the compiling of, of information, receiving resumes, trying to make heads or tails, find that needle in the haystack in order to get a short list of people who are going to come in for interviews is, is a very arduous process for everybody. And unfortunately, no one's really cracked the whip and found a good way to improve on that process. And that's, that was really the niche or the, the focus behind the creation of empty cubicles, looking on that fourth dimension, on that different paradigm and saying, this is something that needs to be fixed at a fundamental level. Everybody that's out there who's an entrepreneur and starting a company is sitting there saying, what am I going to call this company? And no matter what combination of words they come up with, they're all taken. (laughs) It was much much easier 30 years ago, um, but today... um, Almost every combination of words is taken. So how did you come up with empty cubicle? I presume it's <laughs> about filling an empty cubicle. Is that? There, there's an old joke that I'm sure you know uh, about, uh, I believe it's uh, Mountain Dew and how they came up with the, uh, the name for Mountain Dew and they thought that it wasn't the right name. And they sat across from, of course, the people who created Coca-Cola. Yeah, and they thought that it had negative connotation, and, and somebody said, "Well, since they call us Coke, uh, I'm not sure there's that thing as negative connotation." But empty cubicle is is really something that it just made sense to me. Yeah. It really just made sense. It, it's something that, if you look at the the players in the the current market space and, and marketplace, you have people who have taken very straightforward words. And, and put them together to, to create their products. Empty cubicle to me just made perfect sense. What is it that you're trying to do? You're trying to fill the cubicle. Yeah. You're trying to, whether it's a, a cubicle, whether it's a, a gorgeous uh, corner office, it doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's sure. understanding at the fundamental level that uh, empty cubicle is what we're trying to fill. The, the biggest issue that we've had with the name, believe it or not, is that a lot of people think that we're in the real estate business. Yeah, I don't quite get that, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) Neither do I. (laughs) Now, one of the problems with resumes and sorting through resumes, um, I would think, is the fact that people who normally in their life have absolutely no imagination whatsoever, when it comes to writing a resume, suddenly become the most creative people on the planet. Um, So how do you sort out you know, what, what's real and what's just plain straight out bullshit when it comes to resumes? Well, you can, you can say that. I can't say that. But what I can say <laughs> is that from a verified perspective, um, you know, the, the verified resume is, is really, to us, it, it's not just a statement. It's, it's far more than a statement. It's really a movement. Right. And uh, believe it or not, what we want to do is with empty cubicle is drive the profile and it's the firm belief that a profile is what will get you your job it is no longer your resume right, and the, the job of the resume used to be to try to sell yourself on paper but today with the social constructs that we have in place people are far more used to updating their profiles whether that be the variety of online mechanisms they have whether you're updating a photo, whether you're updating uh, your personal information on a, on a particular website, it's the profile that will get, get you that next opportunity. Right. And for us, 
it's really looking at the fact that resumes have a negative connotation. It's a well-known fact, for example, that 58% of resumes are deemed to have a credibility issue immediately once reviewed, which means they're getting thrown away and four out of 10 are being looked at uh, from a serious level. That's obviously not a good thing, and that's the time waster that we want to try to correct. So in what area? In what area are most of the um, these issues arrive? Is there a particular part of the of the um, a CV or whatever that um, where these errors arrive arise? There, there are many ways, uh, many places, and uh, it's certainly not industry specific. But a lot of people like to. Uh, manufacture a job title, for example, which isn't truthful or, or um, representative of the job that they have done. They but they don't, will improve. do they? People don't do I, that, do they? I've never <laughs> seen anybody do it myself, but you know, I've, I've seen some articles that, that relate to this. So if you were the senior project manager and for XYZ, and yet the task that you worked on don't really match up to what a senior project manager would be doing. Yeah. And that's a, that's a glaring error. That's as obvious as having a headlight out on your car. Right. Uh, you know that one is working and one is not working. And that, by and large, as an example, are, are a lot of the things that people are doing. You know, they're, they're providing information which, irrespective of the fact that it is wrong and it is intentionally trying to confuse or uh, dupe an organization to bring yep. them in for an interview, uh, it, it just doesn't make sense. So to the reviewer of that resume, it's, uh, it's a very frustrating process because if you're basically looking at 60% of your job being looking at something and throwing it away, that's a very painful, mundane process. And sure. That's, that's part of the driver here for us. So for um, HR specialists, the costs involved in going through the process as it currently exists must be horrendous. It would be frustrating and it's expensive and you're getting abused by who, whoever wants the role filled very quickly. So I would think that um, HR specialists are going to love your software for the simple fact it's going to save them a lot of time, a lot of money and a lot of angst. How does, it, how does it actually work? Well, I, I appreciate the passion. You, you sort of sound like me in your description there, which I, I certainly like. Well, I can say um, that it's great. Yeah. I, I appreciate that. Um, we're more than just a traditional marketplace. And unfortunately, that's what a lot of the hiring systems that are out there have become. Right. Uh, it's a well-known fact that the average recruiter has 17 logins to 17 systems trying to get the needle in the haystack, trying to maintain ownership of a resume which they can present to their clients. And that's just, that's just painful, right? That, that, there's no other way to say it than painful. It's also ludicrous. Everyone, well, of course, of course. So how it works is really uh, relative to our database and the way that we look at information. And of course, it's proprietary. So if I told you, I would have to you know, Kill me, yeah. injure you, and, and I don't want to do that, uh, seeing as we've just met. But the, the verification process well, I'm really tough works. too. I've heard that about you. I've heard that about you. It, uh, it works by measuring the content in a resume or in a profile, as we refer to them, 
and measuring it specifically almost a word for word against our proprietary database. Right. So we're, we're really, part and parcel of that is we're really stopping the submission process entirely. So resumes that become profiles in empty cubicle, if you are maintaining an active profile, then your profile and the specifics of your requirements could be shown to any employer who is looking for somebody with your skill set. And that's why the, the profile and, and the maintenance of your information at a per personal professional level is so important because that's how it really uh, drives the, the credibility issue. So candidates, for example, can't apply directly for jobs in empty cubicle. They can't, as I mentioned, they can't apply on the platform. Uh, and that's where the bulk of the time is wasted in job search for both parties. Candidates applying for roles uh, that they aren't qualified for is where everyone gets into trouble. So right. a job seeker who will spend a couple or, or three hours a night looking at various systems um, and just sending resumes upon resumes to, uh, to a, a vacant mailbox or to an employer who might get back to them, um, those are people who are just hoping that they're going to dribble the ball and, and throw the basketball up in the air and hope that it goes anywhere near the net. Yeah, and of, course, Mary. of course, we know that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, Hal Mary. And, of course, we know that to not be uh, terribly effective. So being able to control that in and of itself is something that's going to provide uh, far more uh, expediency to, to getting the right individual, the right candidate in front of the organization. And we have a variety of systems, checks, balances outside of the verification process that we've built into Empty Cubicle, which will, uh, which will drive that for both the employer and the individual. And we've, we've got the use of, of some social technologies, some messaging technologies, and, uh, and that's what's going to drive the actual connection between parties. Okay, I can, I can, I can see all that. But um, it seems to me that one of the most important parts of putting people into roles in corporations, whether they're large or small, is making sure that those people um, have the right personality, have the right um, um, social skills, for, because I can't think of the right word, and have the right um, um, corporate okay. culture attitude to yeah. be able to fit into those roles. How does um, Empty Cubicle address that side of the equation? The short answer is out of the gate, we won't do that. Right. And th this is part of the startup process is knowing where you play and knowing where you don't play. Okay. And we, we recognize there are a number of, of organizations out there, some of whom we're already speaking with about uh, what the future could look like as, uh, as our companies grow uh, together in the space. Um, these companies are the ones that are, are doing those assessments, those cultural fits and whatnot, and we don't want to play there. We want right. to play in getting a, uh, a super short list of applicants in front of the organization, which means once we've given you the, those number of profiles, the individuals who are best suited, verified for your roles, then it's up to you, the organization, to do what you'd like with it. So if you want to run them all through another process that you have, that's okay. If you want to run them all through a particular system or have them do a, 
an assessment, something online, what, whatever the situation might be, by all means. You know, we, we recognize that the value statement that we are bringing out of box, if you will, is providing that shortlist uh, 100%, if not more, quicker than through traditional means. We, we, we often talk about the fact that, um, you know, resumes are quite often the figment of somebody's imagination. Um, but when companies are describing to you the role that they're looking for someone to fill, how accurate in general are the companies in what, in what they really require or do they overstep frequently trying to um, um, describing the position as more than, than it actually is or covering some issue? How accurate are they? Great question. Our, our findings are that it, it's almost the smaller the organization, yep. the, the more embellished, uh, the bigger their eyes might be sure. to, uh, to getting that, that right individual in place. And certainly as a startup, as a, a company that's you know, less than 12 people, uh, we, we, we do that. And I, can, I, I certainly know that we do that. And then we struggle as we try to drive that individual forward. Sure. So the smaller the company, the more it's embellished. In, in a larger organization, financial institution, uh, insurance company, what have you, it's far more structured. And I, I also think there's a big uh, component of that, which is roles that are net new to the organization have been created for whatever purpose are typically exaggerated, whereas roles where uh, someone has exited or will be, will be added um, based on scale uh, are typically uh, better fit. To the organization, they're more specific around what it is they're looking for. Uh, but of course, we've also seen a blend of the two, where you start off the as an organization, you start off thinking that you've got a need for one person, then you actually sit down and through the interview process, realize, recognize that this individual can can act in this particular role, mm-hmm. but they can also act in these other roles, and then you end up with uh, more consolidating uh, a number of of um, skills or a number of tasks, performance into one role. Now, particularly, I guess, I may be totally wrong here, but particularly it seems to me that in the um, tech industry, um, the competition to get talent is fierce and sort of HR consultancy businesses have popped up all over the place. Um so you have an extremely competitive industry. That's an assumption. But so how do how does Empty Cubicle distinguish itself or differentiate itself from all of the other so-called HR specialists that seem to be moving into the market? Firstly, is my assumption right? If it's not, don't worry about the question. If it is right, how do you differentiate yourself? Well, since you're the host, I'll, I'll tell you that your assumption is right, because it would be, it would be rude of me to, to tell you that you're not correct. But yes, your, your assumption is right. Certainly, uh, the, the HR space is something that is so packed right now. I mean, there, there are so many companies, and you think of the statistic I gave you earlier, where uh, as a recruiter, you might have up to 17 different logins for 17 different systems, all of whom provide the same information and do the same things. I mean, think about that in a different perspective. Think about it not from the recruiter's perspective, but from the applicant's perspective. 
So if I'm looking for a job, I've got to maintain 17 different resumes yeah. or even more because I have rewritten components or pieces of my resume in order to make myself more attractive to, to different to specific that are yeah. hiring. Sure. So distinguishing for us has, has really been uh, something we've been working on for some time. And uh, particularly in, in, the, in the Canadian marketplace, there have been a ton of HR startups which have, uh, have emerged in recent years. And the differentiator for us, uh, as I mentioned, obviously, is Verify. And, and verification isn't just uh, a process that an organization must complete at the end of an HR process. It's something that, as a movement, should happen throughout the process and at the beginning of the process. Yep. Uh, if, you, if you think about the traditional hiring process, when is it that uh, the organization goes and verifies resume content or, or phones references, it's obviously at the end of the process. Yeah, which was which ridiculous. Would be, yeah. Exactly, which, which would be, of course, incredibly, incredibly strange when, when here you are trying to bring somebody into the organization and when you have 100 resumes on day one and you whittle that down to three resumes on day what might be 45 or 60, now you're ready to bring somebody in. Only then do you go and verify uh, the, the specifics on the resume. It, yeah, it's so. Yeah, and you probably already cut out a whole bunch of people that might be more suitable than the ones you've got left. Exactly. And it's 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 painful to think that that's what the uh, the organizations are doing. But um, alas, you know, a, a, an empty cubicle verified profile is something that we want to stand out to employers, both in the system and on paper. Yeah. And we're working on a number of initiatives in order to build that statement, build that uh, brand for us. And uh, you'll, you'll see in 2016, which is obviously around the corner, um, exactly how that's going to, to work and operate. And we've got some very exciting ideas around how we're going to, uh, to build that loyalty and um, have organizations out there that recognize that a, an empty cubicle verified profile is the same as a very small white and blue check mark on Twitter. Yeah. Know, it stands for something, it means something, and it's as authentic as it gets. Uh, most entrepreneurs out there, the biggest problem they have is raising funds. Have you had to raise funds so far for your business? Well, I, I thought you might ask that question. Um, of course, and I, I, as a listener of your radio program, uh, I, there are a number of answers that you always get to this question, but yeah. I suppose I'll, I'll be traditional in saying as a startup, we're always raising funds. Uh, yeah. We were we were very fortunate to raise uh, a very solid uh, initial round, friends, family, and uh, those closest to us who believed in what it is that we uh, are building, and uh, that's something that we're, we're very happy about and, and being able to do um, to date. Right. Uh, as we move forward to 2016, we are looking at putting together uh, a seed round and uh, and a figure that's representative of the year that we want to have. Yes. Um, of course, here in Canada, we have, in, in Ontario, we have, as you mentioned, uh, the Mars uh, building, yep. uh, which actually stands for Medical and Related Sciences. And though we are not medical, and I don't know that you could say that we are really a science, uh, it started off in the medical field. It's now grown into... Uh, a variety of fields, and we live in the ICT field, of course, in the technology space, and there are uh, a number of uh, people in this market who are very interested in what we're doing and building, and of course, the HR 
and it's hot. It's, it's hot right now, and and there needs exactly. to be some solutions. Uh, what's right. been your biggest challenge in raising money? Well, I guess having good enough relations with relatives. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. just make sure for the last twenty five years you haven't pissed anybody off. <laughs> well, no, nobody who can speak of it today. You mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, the, here you go. The, sorry, the, the biggest issue uh, in raising funds is. You know, I think as a startup, you you have very specific thoughts on how you're going to grow and how you're going to extend and expand. And uh, as as an organization which isn't live yet, we we have to look at, of course, every penny and be responsible to our our shareholders for each penny. Sure. But um, moreover, it's difficult to to point your finger at a piece of paper and say this is where we need to be based off of these figures. So. If we're going to have X number of, of uh, customers, that means Y revenues. And then going out and raising money based off of that or uh, based on specific calendar dates we expect to hit, so on and so forth, that is very difficult. You know, yeah. At the end of the day, we are really following uh, a vision, a passion, a dream for what Empty Cubicle will be. Yep. And as a, as a company that's over a year old now, we're very fortunate that we're still around. We, we're obviously doing something right. That's true, and and we um, we've been able to to substantiate that to create a, an exciting product, and it's it's really not just uh, a driver for us to continue, but it's the reaction to the industry, uh, the number of beta customers who have already committed to coming onto the platform, the number of of individuals who have signed up to be a part of the beta, which they can do at EmptyCubicle.com. Uh, it's all very very exciting, and we we can't wait to launch. Okay, we're running very short of time, but you're launching in the first quarter of 16. So where do you see yourself in the next 12 months? Where, what's the process through the next 12 months? Where do you think you'll be? Well, we begin in, in 2016, uh, Q1, as you mentioned, in the IT contractor space across North America. Right. Now, obviously, as a platform, this is something that can be used across uh, industries, across countries around the world, and uh, that's something that doesn't... Uh, that keeps me up at night with excitement, just that, that possibility of sure. potential to execute at that scale. Um, so in, in calendar year 2016, uh, our hope is to grow the platform into other industries, uh, into full-time spaces, not just contract spaces. And uh, hopefully we'll have this uh, conversation again at the end of 2016 into 2017, and I'll be telling you where we've executed, uh, in what countries, and what verticals, and what markets. I look forward to that, Eric. Thank you very much for speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. That was interesting. I'm, something that I knew a little bit about, but not, not that much. Now, if you'd like to know more about Eric Riz and Empty Cubicle, go to EmptyCubicle.com. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show and Voice America Business Network after this short break. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Game-changing technologies and strategies are transformational, exciting, and disruptive for a reason. They shake up your status quo. They get you thinking about new ways to scale, compete, and grow. They move you in amazing new directions. You're invited to take your coffee break with Game Changers on Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern Time 
for our special series on the future of cars with Game Changers. Learn how you can become the automotive maestro who takes your company across the finish line as you look ahead to the next breakthrough wave of disruptive automotive industry solutions moving into the cloud. The Future of Cars with Game Changers, presented by SAP on the Business Channel. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to Bob at BobPritchard.com. That's Bob at BobPritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Absolutely No Bullshit Business Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel, the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs. This week we're broadcasting to you from Las Vegas. I love Las Vegas. It is so cool. And the great thing about Las Vegas, Thursday night, ACDC. <laughs> In this segment, I thought I'd answer a couple of emails from our listeners. We get emails all the time from around the world asking questions and I don't get around to it that often but I thought today I'd do it and it's incredible that despite the different cultures around the world all the emails are applicable to just about everyone so it doesn't matter where you are in the world or what language you speak or whether you've got a big business or a small business all got the same problems my first email today is from Mike Russell from Salem Oregon Mike writes, dear Bob, thanks for a great show. I listen every week and particularly particularly <laughs> enjoy your interviews. It's very difficult to continue. Then he starts his question. It's very difficult to continually attract new customers, and it seems that most of my time seems to be spent on marketing. Do you have any suggestions to make this role easier and less time-consuming? Well, Mike, thanks for your email, firstly. I appreciate it. But nearly all businesses have to continually market to attract people through the doors and then sell them something. I know it's a pain in the ass, but you've got to do it. Ideally, once you get them, you can then upsell them and have them leave thrilled and then they'll keep coming back and they'll bring their friends. So the better your customer services, as we discussed earlier, the easier it is to get people to come into your store or your business. And if you're continually getting repeat customers coming back and they're getting their friends to come back over and over again and then they tell their friends, you've got a really solid business. However, to do that, you've really got to put a lot of hard yards into creating a marketing, selling and a wow customer service strategy. You've got to really knock your customers' socks off. 
It doesn't just happen. It's bloody hard work. And when you think about the most important element of any business, it's marketing. You've got to get people in the door and then you've got to sell them. If you don't get any income, you haven't got a business. So marketing and sales is much more important than probably any other element of your business. And one problem that most small business owners fail to realize is the difficulty involved in successfully marketing their business. You know, they don't realize how much work it's going to take to get their message out there. Too many small businesses think, well, I've got a business, I open the doors, I'll put up a website, I'll run a couple of ads, and boy, customers are going to pour in the door because my business is so exciting. Believe me, nothing, nothing, nada, zero, zip could be further from the truth. So, Mike, I hope that answers your question. You're going to have to keep spending all that time on marketing, mate. I'm sorry. My second email comes from Alan Sinclair from Glebe, which is a suburb of Sydney in Australia. Now, I'm from Australia, as you probably realise. I've been, I've been in Los Angeles now for 28 years, and I still sound like an Aussie. There's something wrong with that. Anyway, we have a lot of listeners in Australia, and it's about noon tomorrow there, if you're wondering what time it is. Um, Alan says, Dear Bob, thanks for an excellent show. Now, you talk on the show a lot about the need to do research irrespective of your whether of whether you're a big company or a small company now bob this sounds good but research is an expense is expensive and all of the small business people i know really can't afford it so how do you do research without having a lot of money well alan that's a good question but there are ways that you can do research yourself without spending a lot of money firstly you know, regularly talk to your customers. Make sure that you understand why they use their product, how it compares with the competition, and any other general feedback you can get. You can also take advantage of free websites, and there's free or low-cost tools, you know, like online polls, for example. It's not as detailed as the professional market researchers, but it can be good enough to really help you hone your marketing strategy. You know, I've worked with companies where the market research is so complicated that it distracts you from the really simple messages that you need to get out, which are the most effective communication tools. And in the same organisation, we've just done simple research that was much more effective than the hundreds of thousands we've spent um, with research companies. So your first step is to build a customer database so that you can track purchase history and preferences. Your point of sale or customer service management software can provide you with the tools that you need. You know, you need to get their email, you need to get their social media addresses, their home addresses, their zip code, and you can do that by providing information or discounts or the opportunity to win prizes. And this simple information is going to give you a really good idea of your catchment area and what communication and promotion vehicles you need to use to reach those customers. So now you know who they are and where they are. The next step is to find out what they want. So you can use services such as Constant Contact or SurveyMonkey to provide free or low-cost surveys for your website or to distribute via email or Facebook or Twitter. You can give out customer comment cards at your retail business and incentivate them by offering coupons or a discount. You can ask really open-ended questions about what your customers want and what they need. 
Another way to get a guide as to how you're performing, just ask your customers on a scale of zero to 10, how, whether they're likely to refer you to a, a colleague or a friend or a colleague to your business. If it's below six, they're not going to give you good word of mouth. If it's above six, they're the ones you want to focus on to spread the word about your business. Social media is another great way to conduct market research amongst those who are your advocates. You can get them involved by asking them what additional products they'd like you to stock, how they can help you get a specific promotion you can you can offer. Anything that will get them, what will get them more involved and have a better affinity for the business. And you can keep them feeling special by offering them special discounts and special prices and a membership. So thanks, Alan. I'll send you a copy of Marketing Magic. There's a book that I wrote a few years ago with Brian Tracy and Jay Conrad Levinson, Robert Bly, and I'm sure that you'll really enjoy it. I'll get that off to you tomorrow. Now, if you're a regular listener to the show and you're benefiting from the advice that my guests and I give you each week, please tell your friends to listen. Go to my website at bobpritchard.com and subscribe to my monthly newsletter. They go out once a month. One went out a three or four days ago, 16,000 people. And to all of you who have joined the American Institute for Sales, Marketing and Management, where I'm fortunate to be this year's honorary president, I also thank you. In the meanwhile, in the meanwhile, remember that if you're not really pushing the envelope, if you're not really living on the edge, then you're just taking up too much space. It's easier and much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. This is Bob Pritchard, and I look forward to your company again next week when I will broadcast from our new home studio on Hollywood Boulevard right in the middle of the entertainment capital of the world. Good night. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.